Good evening, and welcome to episode 0000216 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'm going to be your host through to 8pm this evening, broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the 96 line, which of course is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present, to any mob that might be listening here or around the country, and to everyone tuning in this Tuesday evening. Thank you, Megan, for another excellent fill for Double Bounce. I can see the love for her programming coming through on the text line. Uh, Another excellent job. Hope to hear you again soon. I'm not sure when Warney's back, but, um, you know, you snooze, you lose, Warney. You snooze, you lose. Now, tonight on the show, the one and only Briggs. In record time, he has put together an amazing lineup for the Now and Forever concert, which will be held at the Shepparton Showgrounds next Saturday, the 6th of October. We'll speak to him about that, the amazing lineup he's put together, and other matters relating to the voice referendum. The concert itself is in support of a yes vote for the referendum, so we'll speak to him about that. Uh, so, yeah, be sure to stick around. It was a very illuminating conversation, as it always is with Briggs. And in the second half of the show, we'll be joined by First People's Assembly of Victoria co-chair Ruben Berg about the legacy of Daniel Andrews, who announced his resignation today to take effect tomorrow at 5pm. Now, while we're just on that, I've got a few reflections of my own, actually. In a previous life, I had a little bit to do with uh, Dan Andrews when he was the Minister for Health in the Brumby government. Uh, He was pretty wet behind the ears, was his first ministerial portfolio, but I remember him always being diligent. He read every briefing that was given to him, back to front. He was across the detail and had an amazing ability to deliver speeches that were off the cuff, but hit every mark he was briefed on, including remembering people's names, titles, backgrounds, and then being able to expand on that to, to make his point at whatever the occasion was. It was impressive, but if you had asked me back then whether he would go on to become the Australian political colossus that he now is, I wouldn't in a million years have believed you. But I guess it's amazing what executive office, like the offices of Premier and Prime Minister, can do to people and the circumstances in which they find themselves. In terms of his legacy, uh, look, he achieved a lot, but I guess the pandemic will be the thing that defines much of his legacy. Um, I'm by no means a Dan Stan. I want to make that um, uh, clear from the outset, and I've criticised him and his government on this program on several occasions. But when it comes to the pandemic, I think people have got relatively short memories. Well, some people do anyway. Uh, when the pandemic hit, the, the main task of the government was to prevent the health system from crashing, to prevent shipping containers being used as morgues, as we saw elsewhere across the world, because they weren't as readily prepared. Um, if you remember correctly, we had probably about, I don't know, probably about two weeks before um, the first wave actually hit here because we saw what was happening overseas. So we had a bit of time to prepare. And one thing we'll never know, um, and this is just the way these things go, is how many thousands of lives that the 
measures that were put in place to protect Victorians, how many lives were saved. Um, there were, you know, it was, a, it was a bummer, it was a hard time, it was a really difficult time. People's mental health was affected. Don't want to downplay that for a second. But we also must remember that the vast majority of people stuck to the lockdowns and the health measures that were been put in place by us because most of us believe in the science. So we'll never know, but that will be what defines his legacy. Um, as with all premiers and leaders and governments, that over time they seem to become more and more secretive, less and less transparent. And I think that's a criticism that could be definitely labelled at the Andrews government. And if you ask me, he's making the call at the right time to, to leave uh, because nine years is a long time. You start to lose imagination. You start to lose insight and you start to lose perspective when you're in those sorts of jobs for that long. When it comes to Aboriginal affairs, uh, look, his government instigated the treaty process with First Nations people. Um, it's a process that will speak to Ruben Berg, who has um, some recollections of his own, having spent um, time close to the Premier in his role in the Assembly and now as co-chair of the First People's Assembly. So we'll save a lot of that for, um, for that discussion in the second half of the show. But on the flip side of that, more First Nations people are being locked up than ever. We continue to have deaths in custody. And that, coupled with the exponential growth in the police force, often without account, or when I say account, I actually mean financially accountable, um, we've seen ourselves become closer to a police state than we ever have. And in terms of his legacy or his government's legacy or the government that he was part of, um, it will be up to his successor to prove whether his government's true worth will be fulfilled by implementing the recommendations from the Uruk report into child protection and the criminal justice systems. Uh, if you recall correctly, that report was handed down probably six weeks ago now, and the Europe Commission has given the government 12 months to implement the recommendations from that. So that will be the true test for the government when it comes to First Nations matters. Um, but it's true to say that without Dan Andrews, it's probably true that there wouldn't be a treaty and truth-telling process in the first place. So there are many criticisms to be, to be made of him, um, criticisms within Aboriginal affairs and criticisms more broadly. But, um, you know, it's, it's important to reflect uh, what he has achieved and hasn't achieved because it is quite an historic day. Nine years is a long time. Now, when it comes to The Voice itself, the news of Dan Andrews' resignation stole the limelight from conservative no warrior Warren Mundine's address to the National Press Club today, in which he said... The proposed voice to Parliament is a symbolic declaration of war against modern Australia. So that's where we're at with the um, campaign against the voice, 18 days out from polling day. Seems to me that the likes of Mundine and Jacinta Price, who already have a voice both within the media landscape and, of course, in the political arena, arena seem to not want their brothers and sisters from across this land heard with the same megaphone as they are on a daily basis. Perhaps if there was a voice to Parliament, it would undermine their authority and might expose them for the type of operators they really are. Uh, we're going to play a song and then we're going to go into Briggs's interview. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Um, now, uh, I'm about to play the conversation I had with the one and only Adam Briggs, a.k.a. Briggs, who in record time has put, put together what is an amazing lineup for the Now and Forever concert, which will be held at the Shepparton Showgrounds on Saturday the 6th of October. Uh, you'll hear about the lineup when uh, I have my conversation with Briggs. But what to say about the man? He seems to have been on the musical landscape for an eternity, but he hasn't really. Um, he's a natural leader, and if you know his family and where he's from, that is not a surprising thing. He always has a way of cutting to the point and speaking truth, not his truth, but the truth. And he took his time in coming to a position on whether to vote yes or no for the referendum. And we'll talk a little bit about, about that in the conversation as well. And it might be um, some food for thought for you as well. If, if you're on the fence and not sure which way you want to vote during the referendum, then maybe the conversation you're about to hear with Briggs uh, might illuminate you one way or the other. But uh, without further ado, let's play my pre-recorded conversation with Briggs that we've recorded from the desolation of Studio 3, here at Triple R. Briggs, welcome to Triple R. Always. Thanks for having me. You um, have managed to put together uh, an amazing lineup for this Now and Never concert in, uh, in Shepherd on Friday, the 6th of October. Now and Forever. Now and Forever. <laughs> How long did that take to put together? About a month. That's kind of like record time for putting something like that together, given the lineup. Yeah, it's, you know, some things are still. You know, being put together at the moment. <laughs> we don't need to know about that. No, and you won't. <laughs> you won't know about it. On the day, you know, it'll work and, um, you know, we'll have a great show. Uh, let's just go through some of the lineup. There's your good self, of course, uh, the amazing Baker Boy, the absolutely deadly Barker, the amazing Emma Donovan, the mighty Hilltop Hoods, the legend Jimmy Barnes, Moju, and Paul Kelly. And you've managed to get. Um, the uh, the budding superstar Sam Pang. Yeah, we've got to get in there, you know what I mean, before he <laughs> co-hosts. Because the guy, the guy, he's going to have a gold logie next year. He's in the stratosphere. At gold logie next year, you know, like you, you got to get in at the ground level with these guys, you know, so they remember you. How many how many of these people are you favours? Well, a lot by the looks of things, right? <laughs> um, you know how it come about was really organic, man. I just asked each individual. Um, you know, how they feel about coming to Shepparton and doing a show. Mm. And, um, you know, it come about really organically like that. That was before I had the big promoters involved to put it together because, like, you know, when you step into the world entertainment like this and you have a, a group like the Hilltop Hoods that, you know, garner, you know, thousands of people, you have to have the production and the facilities around that to cater to it, you know what I mean, for the audience. Yeah. To keep everyone safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess some of like the, I mean, some people will be easier than others, but the production values that artists of this quality sort of demand. I mean, that's yeah. that's the, the well, technical that's the aspect. Is, aspect yeah, the technical aspect of it is not like we're not, you know, it's not going to be some Aldi version. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not going to be no frills. But everyone has presented a a show, you know, because all these artists are donating their time. Yeah, yeah. You know, but we're going to be, you know, paying workers 
like production yeah. crew because they can't afford to give up their time all day like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, everyone who's they're, they're presenting a show, but it's going to be like a show in response, you know what I mean? It's like we only had a month to put it together. Yeah, yeah. And we've only got a certain amount of time. So it's it's going to be a, a different kind of show. Like I know PK is going to be a little bit more stripped back, same as, as Jimmy. Yep. Um, so they're going to be like like really special kind of intimacy, you know, and around, around those performances. And then, you know, the Hilltop Hoods are, are going to Huge. blow the roof off the joint. Well, that's the thing. I mean, every, every artist that's named here is um, an absolute consummate professional yep. and so what you can be guaranteed is that they will bring their a game 100 percent. like i would never have i wouldn't expect anything less you know we don't do things by halves yeah you, know, you can look at the fire and understand that yep um and everyone there is, is there in solidarity for a for a young fella growing up in shepparton um and now being able to wield the influence and power to bring these artists to your hometown for a cause that everyone's passionate about, including yourself. Do you ever find yourself just sort of like pinching yourself a little bit? I've got no time to pinch. <laughs> I'm trying to pinch pennies, you know what I mean, to put this, get this thing over the line. Um, my whole approach to this was like, same with my record label, Bad Apples. Yep. You know, it's, it's always about pushing artists and you know, what's best for artists and trying to make the thing that I don't see. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I never had something like this in Shepparton when I was a kid. No way, and so not by like, long way. Yeah, so who would I be to not bring it home? Yeah. You know, I want to instill – I want to leave things in the town. Yeah. I don't want it to just blow in and blow out. You know, I want to leave skills in the town, memories, and, you know, some inspiration for kids to understand that just because you're living regionally – doesn't mean you're out of the picture, you're out of the game. Absolutely. I mean, Shepparton has the largest Aboriginal population in Victoria outside Melbourne. Yeah. I think it's more of us per capita, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, you, shake a, you shake a tree in Marip- Maripna or Shepparton and a James falls out. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think that's so, so important is, is that it's a cliche, but it's also a really important ethos is you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And there will be some kids in the audience on um, uh, Friday, 6th of October. They'll be going along to the concert at the showgrounds in Shepparton and it will spark something in them. And you hope it so. It could be potentially life, life-changing. life Well, that's the thing. It's, it's not about turning kids into promoters or turning kids into musicians. It's about the idea that you can be what you want to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? You might want to be a photographer. You might want to be a lawyer. It yep. doesn't matter. The things are, you know, the idea is that... Things are achievable and, you know, you're not bound by the tyranny of distance from a capital city yeah. just because you live in Shepparton, you know, or Greater Shepparton. There's opportunities there and sometimes you have to make your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've certainly done that. I mean, you know, Shepparton, I, used, I grew up in um, Uroa, so yeah. um, regular to Shepparton all the time, of course. Uh, the, the place, regional Victoria generally has changed a fair bit yeah. since, um, since I was a kid, certainly. Uh, what have you noticed about Shepparton over time? Because, you know, your family in particular and uh, uh, Rumbalara and the Football Netball Club and Uncle yeah. Paul Briggs have been amazing in bringing conversations to that place yeah. for, for decades now that 
really aren't afforded to a lot of other regional areas. What have you noticed about Shepparton? and has it changed over time? I think it hasn't. It hasn't. You know, yeah. like anywhere else, it's like there's a lot more. There's a lot more like forward thinking, new new blood. You know, yep. kids are exposed to to way more information now yep. by the you know virtue of having phones and stuff. But there's still the old boy you know, dinosaur mentality. Like, like I faced, like, I know where I'm taking this show. This is no country. I know where you're going, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. That whole corridor. This is no country. Yep. And so, like, and I'm, but I also know that my town is full of beautiful people that have big hearts and will appreciate this. So, like, you know, this, I know where I'm at. I know where I'm going. I know there's a lot of leaders in business there that, you know, don't necessarily, you know, want to see it. They're hard yeah. nose. Yeah, but it, They've got to think about the economic benefits as well. Well, that's the thing, you know. The the, the things the footy club, you know, the Rumbelara Football Club have brought through the town, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of forward thinking. You know, I bought Henry Rollins there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I took took, took Rollins to Shepparton. (laughs) And, like, it's for the town. It's for the betterment, you know, of everyone. Like, Aboriginal people have had to live on the fringes of towns. You know, it's, it's evident, you know, where the footy club is. You know what I mean? It's on the outside. Yeah. And so... On the outskirts. So, yep. like, I'm bringing this show right to the middle of town. That's where it's going to be. That's where it belongs. You know what I mean? So and everyone is welcome. This is not an exactly. exclusive show. Everyone is welcome. Exactly. I mean, if people are undecided or if people are a soft no or a hard no, just go along. Come and see. an open mind. Come and see. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's been my approach about this whole thing. They're like, what does, you know, what do you think a no is going to be, you know, on the 14th if that prevails? I'm like, we already live in no. Yeah. It's not going to be some big surprise. Some of your um, uh, Twitter commentary has been some of the most, uh, as always, um, insightful, but also (laughs) straight up and down commentary. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to do it any other way. Yeah, well, it cuts through. Um, Like a lot of us, but... Uh, not most of us, you applied serious critical thought about your position on, yeah. the, on the voice and you eventually came to to yes, just without going into the politics of it at all, but how did you arrive at that position yourself? Um, I think, like, thinking about, you know, well, first, like, like start at the start, I seen mm. Dutton and I seen Pauline Hanson Yep. Both who, you know, especially Pauline Hanson and One Nation, who spend majority of their time dehumanising blackfellas, yep. are voting no, dehumanising us um, as a people. And, you know, so it's like, okay, there's a strike one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, Absolutely. like... Absolutely. But, and I thought about it, and I did think about it quite a lot, you about did. the yes and the no. And, like, the thing was, for me, I understand yes isn't a magic wand. There's going to be work to do, work to do on the fifteenth to continue for us. You know, people will say to me, "Oh, you trust the government?" It's like, no. That's why I want. Yes, that's why I want a seat at the table because I don't trust. Trusting the government is walking away. Mm. And so, like, I don't believe that yes is the fix. Yes is means that we continue to strive. You know, for parity. Equity. Yeah. Um, but it's not the fix. No, though, we're already here mm. in no. A resounding no 
will let, in, yeah, in, in my opinion, will let racist politicians ignore us further. It will, you know, it, a lot of our opportunities in this country exist within a white framework. Yes. So, you know, for example, your show right now, you know, what if there's a board change and a shuffle, which could happen? Easily. And then they say, we don't need that show anymore. We don't yep. need that opinion. Yeah, we're here, we're here as guests in our own country, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, and that's what I mean. So it's like no to me says it reinforces racism and it reinforces the fractured dialogue that we already have. Yes isn't going to fix that with one vote. Yep. Yes means we're going to work on this. I've I've been probably that's, that's also like that's my take. That's not the you no know, no you're not take. speaking on <laughs> behalf of anyone else except yourself. Yeah, I mean my my I've I've been a I guess I, you could say a soft yes for a long not a long time but for a couple of years now. But one thing that has made me kind of more strident and vocal about yes is what I see as the existential threat to giving all the racists and bigots around this debate the absolute green light to um, be as racist and bigoted as they want into the future. Now, we know they've always been that way. Yeah, of course. But in terms of having a national healthy debate, if the lid is blown off this, it's going to be really hard to have any sort of meaningful, nuanced conversations about this into the future. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I also think, like... I'm not concerned about hard no's and a, and a super racist no. Yep. They, those people exist and they're going to exist, you know, in the fringes and within industry as they do. However, it's the apathetic no mm-hmm. that worries me. Yep. It's the apathetic that says, oh, do we have to consult with black followers? On- nah, the country said no. Yeah, do we do we need another black fellow position in here? You know, to even up the no country said no. Yeah, that is my concern. You know what I mean? Like, sure, that is my concern. It's about industry and enterprise and our day to day interpersonal relationships that we have with the rest of Australia. That says we don't have to listen to you. You know, and I said this in the interview this morning. I don't believe the country. And people are sitting in their living rooms and at the pubs debating the sanctity of the constitution that they haven't read (laughs) and debating the sanctity of parliament, of a government they don't trust. They are debating whether or not they like blackfellas, whether they value First Nations people. That's what is a resounding, that's the elephant in the room, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I believe it is now an existential threat and we are being, as a result of this referendum, we're being more and more marginalised. We're seeing that with attacks on welcome to country now. Um, It seems to me that the Conservative No side in particular has been talking about anything except the question that's being put to people on the 16th. Um, What have you made of the discussion around uh, welcome to country in the last uh, little while? I think that it's using it like a their like little hot potato, you know. They need anything. Like they take Sam Newman, like nobody nobody takes pays attention. Like no they don't even ask for Sam Sam Newman's opinion on football anymore. Nobody cares <laughs> yeah. what he thinks. It's only when he says something racist does he make his way back into the into the national conversation. Yeah. Nobody values his opinion on anything. No. So like why are we giving it air? 
It's. Um, I think. It, I think it feeds into the way that the the media in this country is kind of constructed around. Hundred percent. Stoking rage and rage sells papers, gets eyes on televisions and ears and on radios. Yeah. I mean, it's a sad state of affairs. Exactly, and so like you know, that's what they need to sell papers and and generate clicks. Yeah. Right? You know, and also you know the Liberal Party understand that if they don't defeat this referendum, they have no chance. At the next election, it's a central it's a central part of their election strategy to 100%. to deny this referendum. Hundred um, percent to the point where Dutton said that he's willing to do another referendum, like Brad, and then and then walked back on it two weeks later. Yeah, it's weird, Odd. weird. I mean, I think that's part of their strategy, but it seems to me that part of the conservative strategy is just to throw grenades every day at the campaign, whether they make sense or no. not. As long as they deprive the it's Yes confusing. campaign of oxygen. Yeah, it's just confusion. Yeah. You know, that's all. There's no merit. There's very little merit, no merit. To, to anything that they've presented. Yeah, this, and merit itself is just such a, um, a loaded term um, in 21st century Australia, <laughs> isn't it? And so, like, you know, what I've done with this now forever, yep. what I'm doing, not going to do, what I am doing is presenting to the country... This is what we see. Yeah. I'm standing side by side with my sisters and white Australia. We are sta- you know, and my brothers in, you know, we're standing side by side. That's what we see. That's what we envision. That's what we are presenting and that's what we're striving for. Yeah. It's about unity, solidarity, inclusion and equals. You know, I've got the three biggest promoters in the country in Live Nation, you know, Frontier Mushroom and TEG to, to come together to push this, to it's promote incredible. this because they heard what I had to say and they believe in this vision as well. And this is a collective vision. This isn't just mine. Yeah. I ask my friends individually, even the Hilltop Hoods, I ask them individually if they'd be willing to come and stand with us, not just me, with us. Yep. on my country, Yorta Yorta country, our country, and everybody is welcome. Briggs, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks Appreciate for the you, work bro. you do, thank brother. You. you take care. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. And to tonight's uh, second guest... Uh, Dan Andrews, Premier of Victoria, today announced his resignation. It came out of the blue and surprised many. Nine years as Premier has led the st- and has led the state through some of the most tumultuous times in this state's short history. But what of his legacy when it comes to Aboriginal affairs in this place? Well, who better to talk to than someone who has seen the Premier in action up close throughout the short um, history of the treaty process here in Victoria. First People's Assembly of Victoria co-chair and Goody Jamara man, Ruben Berg. Ruben, welcome back to the mission. Yeah, thanks. Great to be back. Um, a big day in politics for this state. What was your uh, initial reaction when you heard the news? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a surprise that it, that it occurred, I guess, this early in this term to see it happen. Um, and, you know, really... We had to reflect straight away about the significant impact that Dan Andrews was able to have in terms of leading this treaty process. And uh, Victoria is often seen as leading the way, and we've already 
put got in place voice of the three elements of voice, treaty and truth and progressing treaty, and we've already got truth telling in place, and a lot of that has been from Dan Andrews and the work he's been able to do in, in saying that this was such an important thing and to, to make sure it was going to happen here in Victoria. I remember, I mean, you would know just as well as anyone, Reuben, because uh, of your old man's work um, throughout his lifetime and the work of so many others. Uh, we were calling for treaty for generations in this place. And I remember when the announcement was made and it was kind of like we were calling for treaty and Dan Andrews and his government said, yeah, right, you can have it. (laughs) Um, When you think about those sorts of um, humble beginnings of the treaty process, it's, 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 it's amazing how much meat has been put on the bone of this process. It's one, thing, it's one thing to say, OK, let's have a treaty. It's another thing to set up not only a treaty process, but to set up all the mechanisms around that, that in some ways enrich the process, but also um, protect the process. I guess that would have to be part of his legacy as well. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that we've been able to set up the Assembly as it is, as a... As the, as the voice for treaty processes here in Victoria, and the fact that we've we've been able to go through two terms, and we've been you know had a, had a second process for an election uh, for us as assembly members, that uh, he was there and definitely helped make sure that we could get the treaty authority up and running. And one of my fondest memories was down at Lawn when he came down, and I was able to dance on the beach with some other Eastern Ma members there when he signed the treaty authority agreement. Yes. But uh, So he's been really powerful in that way, but I think he's also been really powerful in that he's been able to bring along other members of the government, because I, I reflect that when we first started our first meeting in Parliament House back in 2019, it was just the Premier, basically, and the Minister at the time who came to our first chamber, but our most recent first chamber for this new Assembly, uh, the whole Cabinet was there. So he's been able to bring the whole parliament and the whole the whole party along in this journey. I think that's also a powerful legacy. And I guess credit to the um, to the opposition as well for a number of years in the very early days of the treaty authority that was setting up the treaty process here in Victoria. The the opposition uh, was against the process, against the establishment of a treaty, and then it was kind of ambivalent about it. But the opposition now has come on board and there is now bipartisan support for, for a treaty. I think that says a lot about the kind of state Victoria has become. Yeah, I think so. And that was really clearly evident when the treaty authority, uh, the legislation for that, had to pass through both houses of parliament here in Victoria and had some significant support from, from both houses there. And that, that brings back my other fond memory, actually, of Dan Andrews, was when we were there actually in parliament watching... Um, the vast majority of the politicians support the treaty authority process. Dan Andrews actually came and sat with us in the in the little audience there. He came and sat, sat next to Uncle Mukai to right. actually be be with us while we watched this occurrence of so many members of Parliament standing up and saying they supported this treaty process, and, and he was there sitting alongside us as, as a part of that. He would have got a bit of an ear bashing from uh, Uncle Mukai, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, no, no doubt. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, you've now been co-chair for, was it, probably a couple of months now, so not long, but you have been in the First People's Assembly since its very outset. What what are some of your observations of uh, Andrews um, from your perspective within, I guess, within the the treaty process, but, you know, perhaps outside that as well? I'm not sure we've had experience with him outside that as well. Yeah, I mean, to me it was always very clear that this was something he was extremely passionate about. This wasn't something he was just doing... On a, you know, just as an aside thing that maybe would be a good idea. He was he was truly dedicated to this as an idea of, of treaty and has made sure that we're in a really powerful place 
to continue on this process. Even though he's stepped aside, we're going to be able to build from what he's been able to help work with our community to put in place to keep that going. And, you know, part of that was also evident by the fact that when he did deliver his speech to the second term, uh, he threw away his speech notes and just spoke from the heart about why this was so important to him. And that's something that we've seen again and again is that this isn't just um, something that he was just, you know, just a political thing or anything like that. This was a personal thing. He, he saw the importance of making sure that First Peoples are in control of First Peoples issues. And he, he put in place things to help make that happen. And we're going to continue to make that happen here in this state. Yeah, the momentum that Treaty has now, the, the wheels of Treaty are, are now unstoppable and uh, will continue um, forward. I guess on the flip side, uh, Ruben, you know, we still have a long way to go in many um, aspects here in, here in Victoria. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking particularly of incarceration rates and... Um, the, the amount of people that are being locked up and the fact that we are still having death in custody here in the most progressive state in, in Victoria. That is something, of course, that the First People's Assembly of Victoria will keep a close watch on. But the idea of the treaty itself is that we get to a point where we can move beyond all that and, and, and tr- treat First Nations people on a, on a level, level playing field, which hasn't happened throughout the course of the history of this state. Yeah, I mean, look, the reality is that without voice, without treaty, it's just business as usual. And we've seen that business as usual doesn't deliver results for our people. Uh, Voice and treaty and truth are a way to do things differently and to make sure that there's much greater chance for our peoples to thrive and no longer just have to worry about trying to survive out there. Uh, Before I let you go, Ruben, it would be remiss of me not to talk about uh, the referendum. Last time we spoke... The campaign was still the campaign. The camp, the official campaign was probably still a couple of weeks away. Uh, we've lived through what was it? Probably about three weeks of it now, maybe three and a bit weeks of the campaign itself. What have you made of the? I guess the 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 tone of the national debate, and and do you still hold out hope that uh, the yes vote will get up? Absolutely, holding out hope. Uh, I'm confident that everyone out there is going to do what they can to make sure we can get that that hope be be realised, to get that yes. Uh, I think, unfortunately, the debate at the national level has become sidetracked with all different things that are complete distractions from what this is really all about. And it's really just all about recognition and it's about listening. And as we know, the vast majority of Aboriginal people support this. Yeah, yep. Uh, I think polling says something around like 85%. Um, I'll be interested to see what the methodology around that is. But, you know... From from my networks, and I'm, I'm sure from your networks and um, alone, Ruben, we would know that um, in the context we have with people, the vast majority of First Nations people in our networks um, support support treaty. Um, if the treaty goes down, what kind of Australia will we be living in on October 15th? You think? Yeah, if the voice doesn't get up, uh, I'm, I'm I am worried about that. I'm worried as much about the reality that all this fear campaigning, all these myths, truths that we've seen that will kind of be seen as a strategy to, to get things done by those who oppose kind of these progressive moves, and we might see those tactics spill out into other areas. And that's, that's deeply concerning, let alone the, the impact it's going to have us as a community, as individuals, having thought we were in one sort of a nation where people did want to listen to us, they did want to recognise us and find out that we're not, and the impact that's going to have on us as individuals, that's going to be significant as well. Well, Ruben, uh, I know your time is limited and you're a very busy person. So, Ruben Berg, uh, co-chair of the First People's Assembly of Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving your um, reflections on uh, Dan Andrews and your insights into the referendum. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>